Hello and welcome to Heart of Medicine and happy 2024. I'm your host, Dr. Pyle Coley. And today I wanted to kick off the new year with an episode about something that nearly every patient of mine in the last couple of weeks has complained about, their deductibles and their insurance. Now it's never really been clear to me why insurance has been so confusing, but what's clear to me is that both medical providers and patients get caught in the battle of insurance. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about how complex medical insurance is and how we can avoid becoming collateral damage. Joining me is my guest and friend, Dr. Omid Chazeri, who's a vascular surgeon in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Omid. Hi, Pyle. Uh, happy 2024 to you and your listeners. Um, it's been uh, a cold one so far, and, uh, you know, we were, it seemed like we were avoiding winter, but there's no avoiding winter now. No, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's been a busy one so far, I would say as well. You know, a lot of people as they're digging out from the holidays, they start to really think about their preventive health, think about their insurance plans and all that stuff. The first of the year, they make a lot of healthcare resolutions. So I'm seeing a ton of patients coming into the office. But here's the kicker. January 1st, your out-of-pocket maximums and your deductibles all reset, right? And so people are now having to pay much more for their health care than they had to in Q3 or Q4 of the previous year. For a lot of people, it really comes as a surprise. Yeah, you know, health insurance, unfortunately, is one of those incredibly variable aspects of our healthcare system. There's a complex pricing structure where providers, insurers, pharmaceuticals all set their own price strategies. There's a variability in insurance coverages. And as you can imagine, certain plans cover certain services, certain plans don't cover other services. There's a lack of standardization. There's really no standard system for healthcare pricing and never really has been. You know, it drives me crazy. Like, how is it that in a country like the United States of America, we can get away with having so many different insurance plans, so many different policies? And and to add to that, you know, what you just said to the confusion, the first of every year, coverages change just like they do with our car insurance and our home insurance and everything like that. And there's just not clear communication with the patients about what's covered, what isn't covered. And then there's all these acronyms on top of that HMO, PPO, EOB. These are all things that patients don't understand how to navigate. So, you know, how did we get here? Well, I think part of it is that back in the 80s when healthcare became a commodity, we lost control over a lot of these. And by we, I mean both physicians as well as patients yeah. and providers. Um, and since then, and since we live in a capitalistic world in the US, we lost some of our uh, ability to control some of these um, aspects that you're talking about. For example, good um, example that I give my patients is you can go to a grocery store and buy a box of Cheerios, and you can go to another grocery store and buy a box of Cheerios, and you can expect to pay pretty much the same for the same box of Cheerios, but that's not how healthcare is. And because of multiple different reasons throughout the years, uh, Coverages have changed, and and our ability to control healthcare costs has really changed. And as you mentioned, um, there's just a world of word jumble that comes with healthcare that um, even myself as a provider, I have a really hard time grasping. You know, I like your Cheerios example because, in a way, you know, maybe you're off within a few cents, or you know. 
10 or 20 cents from one store to the other. But if you're talking five, six dollars or double or triple as much for that box of Cheerios, in a way, the insurance company is actually putting a value statement on the more expensive Cheerios, right? And this is what we see routinely with the healthcare system is that each individual provider, whether they belong to a healthcare network or they practice on their own, they get paid a different amount for the exact same healthcare. So my problem with that is twofold. One, it's confusing to both the providers and the patients what exactly that box of Cheerios is going to cost them. So there's absolutely no cost transparency when it comes to healthcare delivery, because you can walk into a doctor's office and not know if you're going to pay nothing or you're going to end up having a big medical bill at the end of it. And second, this differential pricing between different providers actually puts a value judgment on the type of care. It changes how people consume care, because maybe people are going to drive a lot farther to get that cheaper box of Cheerios, or maybe they'll just not eat Cheerios altogether because they'll say it's too expensive. And to me, that's just unacceptable because this problems with the health insurance are trickling down into how we take care of our patients. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's two things I can think about that, right? Number one, you, you have to add on top of it that the confidentiality of negotiated rates between insurers, providers, and patients, this is it's all confidential. Like no one really knows who's paying what for what. And and that makes it really hard to keep track of these payments. And do you think that that's intentional by the insurance companies? No, I think it's just really complicated. I mean, even even the fact that look, you when you go to King Supers, you pay King Supers for that box of Cheerios. When you go to your doctor, it's very rare that you pay your doctor for the services, right? You end up paying the insurance and though that insurance has negotiated a rate with potentially the physician or whoever uh, the physician works through. And I can tell you that for those same services, if you choose to go to another physician, the rates will be completely different. Uh, I am not sure how we ended up here. Um, maybe I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but, but it's really become really complex and and these policies are just continuing to get complex by day by day you know we we did try in 2021 with the hospital price transparency rule in 2022 there was some transparency and coverage rules there was the no surprises act in 2022 and there's certainly state specific laws that enact their own healthcare price transparency. But okay, but I, I, you know, we have these laws, we have all these rules that you talked about. But when I walk into a doctor's office, or, you know, if my patient does, they still don't know what they owe. And in fact, even me as the doctor, I don't know what they owe until, you know, I send the, the claim to the insurance company, and it's been adjudicated and reviewed and all that stuff. And so oftentimes, you know, because there's coinsurances, there's co-pays, and then there's deductibles. If I were to collect the deductible, at the time of the visit, which is a policy in my office that we do, we generally collect ahead for the visit. It's entirely an estimate or a guess. And it shouldn't be like that. It, the doctor shouldn't be left guessing what they're going to get reimbursed for their health care. And certainly not the patient who is the person that actually holds the policy. They should know ahead of time when they're walking into King Supers, there's a, a price tag on that box of Cheerios that says how much it's going to cost. And that's how healthcare needs to be so that we can create some of that healthy competition where one person behind closed doors can't be charging hundreds of dollars for a visit that another person is only charging, you know, $50 for. It should all be the same. You're right. And and what you're 
essentially alluding to is potentially the advantages or disadvantages of centralized healthcare, right? In a centralized world, for example, if we look to our uh, neighbors to the north where there's centralized healthcare, citizens have equal access to medical services. There's some cost efficiency with centralized control over these uh, um, services and as, as well as uh, medications and drugs. But, you know, there's certainly disadvantages um, also when it comes to trying to centralize healthcare, for example, longer wait times or even having limited choices as to selecting your healthcare provider or treatments, especially if you have a complex medical issue or a chronic medical issue that requires specialized care. Maybe the time has come. Uh, our, our institutions have tried uh, to work on this. There's a uh, value-based care that is uh, coming along with uh, DMS. And, and there is also um, recently I was reading up on states getting um, global payments for certain disease processes and, and certain uh, care pathways. And that, again, may be the start of centralized health care. But the, the only way that I can see to be able to control some of these variabilities is to centralize these issues. You know, it's interesting because I think centralized healthcare, just just some of the points you're making has its advantages, but I think it's the other end of the spectrum. So if you think about that pendulum swinging in one direction, which is where we are here in, in the U.S. and, you know, centralized healthcare being the opposite direction, I would much prefer to settle somewhere in the middle where I feel like because now modern day healthcare has become a commodity, it's become a service. It's become very much like many of the other services that we consume, whether that's going to restaurants or getting our nails done, getting our hair done. Those that's the way that a lot of modern consumers are using healthcare. And so having that same sort of cost transparency and that standardized pricing, that's the part of it that bothers me. We could have multiple payers, we could have private insurance, but you should know exactly whether you're taking Blue Cross or Cigna or Aetna what your coverages are going to look like for an office visit with a cardiologist or with a vascular surgeon. And similarly, for the doctor, they should know exactly what you're, they're going to get for a specific patient for a level four visit or a level five visit or, or what have you. This kind of behind the door secret contracts with all these different people. And if I'm part of a big health system, I get a great contract. And if I buy myself, then I get a terrible contract. And I think it just drives confusion. It drives ambiguity. And behind those closed doors, you can never really know at the end of the day exactly what something is going to cost you. And my concern is people start to put that cost calculus into their decision to seek health care. You know, certainly you don't want people to be abusing health care and overusing it. But at the same time, you don't want to say, oh, I'm not going to go to see the doctor because I'm going to get a big bill at the end of it, or I'm not going to go to urgent care because I don't know exactly how much they're going to charge me. They may charge me $80 for a Tylenol in urgent care, as opposed to one that I could have taken at home. Do you see what I mean? No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, our conversation is predicated on the fact that the, our listeners have insurance. I mean, if you can think of individuals who don't have insurance, especially as we're dealing with the migrant crisis, both yeah. in our yeah. country as well as in Denver, it's really, really challenging. You're right. You do not want uninsured or underinsured individuals to delay or forego any necessary care just, just because of the cost. Eventually, these things will all affect health outcomes. If you're waiting to 
visit your doctor because right. you didn't pay your deductible or you have to pay a coinsurance um, that is potentially 20% of the cost of your hospitalization, then you're absolutely right. You know, especially our elderly folks that live live on fixed incomes. Right. Uh, we cannot we cannot ask them to all of a sudden go ahead and pay five, six, seven thousand dollars because they have to be hospitalized for a respiratory illness. Right. And sometimes if they wait too long, then they actually, you know, end up doing worse than had they come in potentially earlier because the cost wasn't an issue or they knew exactly how much it was going to cost them. That might have been a different outcome. So, Omid, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk. We've been talking a little bit about different policies and how confusing it is and all that. But I actually now want to talk about what we call often in, in healthcare the coverage conundrum, because we talked about what's covered and what isn't. And that also is not clear. So some policies, of course, will cover preventive care. They'll cover major surgeries. They'll kind of cover everything. On the other hand, a lot of other policies will qualify, you know, a vaccine or something else that may ordinarily fall under preventive care as a non preventive visit, depending on how the doctor codes it or what else the doctor ends up talking about during that visit. So that to me is also very, very confusing because there's a lot of variability in what's covered between the policies. And then to layer a level of complexity on top of that, we as providers have to get permission, what's called prior authorization for a lot of medications, a lot of procedures, those types of things you know, that we're trying to give our patients. And a lot of times the people on the other end who are denying these procedures are not the same type of specialist or expert in our field. And we end up having to, I call it go to battle because that's what we're doing. Go to battle with someone on the other end who might be a pediatrician or, you know, a, a psychiatrist or some other type of physician, maybe not even as experienced as we are in understanding these medicines, but yet we have to sort of make a compelling case to them. And my worry about this is there's some level of attrition that happens with having to battle every single day, multiple times a day, and the time that it takes, the resources that it takes, and the fact that, of course, there's no reimbursement to the physician for these types of battles. So oftentimes, many physicians will just put their arms up and give up and surrender on the battle, which means their patients are deprived of that medication. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there are some positives to prior authorization. Initially, when these rules were set up, it was to control costs and prevent overuse or misuse, and even in some way standardize treatment. But as you mentioned, it, it really has gone off the deep end and and has swung completely the other way, where insurances oftentimes use these as delay tra tactics. Mm -hmm. well, Absolutely, this increases any administrative burden that we have. Um, I know in, in our office, we have one individual whose job is from when they get in to when they leave to prior authorize treatments, prior authorize visits, prior authorize ultrasounds, prior authorize CAT scans, and, and all of these is just uh, incredibly time consuming. It, it actually doesn't reduce the cost of healthcare, it increases healthcare. Cost. I mean, I know one of the intended, uh, one of the intentions of prior authorizations was to be able to control and reduce healthcare costs, but it really hasn't uh, bear fruit. Um, there's delays in treatment, which can exacerbate patients' conditions, which then will lead to more intensive and expensive treatments later on. 
as you had mentioned earlier. Um, there's potentials for treatment disruption. If you all of a sudden have to stop treatment, get a prior authorization where you may have not had to in the past, that can really lead to um, bad outcomes in patients. And, and it does, at the end of the day, sometimes interfere with our ability to make clinical decisions for our patients. And, and I kind of feel sometimes I'm being judged in some way when, when we do have to pre-authorize um, procedures or CT scans. or and, and it really not only interferes with our clinical decision, but I think it also interferes with physician-patient relationships where all of a sudden... You know, I'm getting phone calls from a very angry patient, but really it's not my fault. It's right. not your fault. It's not their fault. I'll say a couple of things. The first, I mean, you're absolutely right. There was a famous case of a patient who needed chemotherapy and they couldn't get the chemotherapy medication prior off and the cancer got more advanced. And, you know, something we've often talked about at our meetings, and that's obviously an extreme example, but it really does illustrate the point that you made, which is that this thing that was meant to help patients has now run amok and it's really gone off the rails. And when are we going to sit down and say it's time to reevaluate the process and do something different? The second, I probably spend at least 20, 30 percent of my time during my visits talking to patients about cost. And that's really not the best use of my time. And I shouldn't be making clinical decisions based on prior authorizations at which medicine is going to be easiest to get, which medicine isn't. Now, of course, that should has some kind of factor. You don't want to, you know, drive up healthcare costs and use the most expensive medicine every single time, but it shouldn't be the primary driver of my decision making, which for a lot of my patients ends up being the case. And the last thing I really want to echo, which is the the angry patient, because that's something that's really more recently sort of started to hit home to me. And with, you know, all the burnout and everything that we're seeing in the healthcare system, I've really started thinking about why is it that people are so burned out at medicine? And one of the reasons I think is because the patients put their bullets on you, the insurance companies put their bullets on you, and the hospitals put their bullets on you because you are the face of healthcare. You are the human being that's telling them about the cost of healthcare, about you're collecting their deductible, you're telling them how expensive that brand name medicine is. Everyone else is invisible, right? The, the drug company that's driving up the cost of the medicine, the insurance company that's not covering the medicine or that has a very high deductible, or the hospital system that's charging all those extra fees, that's not seen. You're the person that's seen. And I had a case last week of a patient who came into the office and and he, he had a $100 visit for, that's what was supposed to be collected at the time of visit is copay to see me as a cardiologist. And you know, and with inflation and everything, I don't think $100 is an unreasonable amount to see a specialist, a cardiologist as your copay. And he comes into the office and he starts negotiating with my front desk staff. And he said, I'll give you $20. And it just made me pause and kind of step back because I said, if he went to Starbucks or he went to a restaurant or went to get, you know, a haircut or anything else that he- Or could, Cheerios. Or Cheerios. <laughs> you, you, you can't negotiate and you can't say, okay, I'll, I'll pay this much today and I'll come back and pay the rest 
later. Yet somehow patients have the perception or misperception, I should say, that healthcare costs are negotiable because they think that doctors are getting rich off of them. And that's exactly what he said to me. Doctors are already rich enough and you keep trying to get richer. And and that's that disconnect between the fact that it's not going into our pocket, it's going into your insurance company's pocket if you have a high cost of care. And to think that you can negotiate the cost of your medical care, I just left me scratching my head because I wondered, like, how did we get here? Because in no other industry would this kind of a conversation even have been entertained. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry you had to deal with that because that conversation needs to take place between the patient and their insurance company right. and the patient and their representative in their in Congress and in the Senate. And that, and that's how I guide my patients. I, I always tell them, if you're upset about it, there's a reason you're upset about it. And if you're upset about it, take it up with your insurance company and take it up with your representative because the representatives make the laws and, and, and those laws get translated into policy and the insurance company sort of follows suit. It's, it's not, I don't make the policies. I don't make the laws. Right. I don't write the right. laws. And I have to follow the same rules as a physician as the patients have to when it comes to their insurance plans. I feel very empathetic towards my patients. Um, I can tell you myself, I spent an hour and a half last Friday on the phone with my insurance company wondering why I was charged an extra $30 copay when I went to have a hearing test mm -hmm. when I had already paid a $40 copay. Mm. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you, no one could tell me. I had my insurance company on the line, I had the practice on the telephone line, and this particular service took place in a hospital, and, and there was a representative from the hospital on the line. Wow. And it was $30. I, I, I can certainly pay the $30, but my point was, what was it for? Right. And no one could tell me what it was for. Wow. No one. And, and so they put it up for review, which I don't even know what that means. And, and again, it wasn't the fact that it was $30 or $300. It was the fact that I paid my copay. What is this new copay that you're asking me to pay? It's it's all variable and it's all, as we had mentioned earlier, there is very little transparency to all of this. And it's incredibly challenging unless it does become standardized or centralized. It's going to be really, really hard to control for these factors. I'm sure at the end of the day, I'm going to have to pay for $30 because I will start getting nasty notices right. that we're going to send your bill to collections, right? which is what patients get, right? And, yeah. and that's incredibly bad position to put our patients in. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I, and I want to echo what you said, which is that, you know, patients are just as much victims as I would say healthcare providers are of modern medical insurance and the way that it works and the challenges of navigating it. But I do believe by having these types of conversations and raising these issues and at least discussing them, hopefully we can raise awareness, we can make people more educated and also help them to advocate a little bit more so that we can start to implement some change. And I feel like we as healthcare providers also need to start advocating. It's not all on yeah. to the patient. It's our job as well. And we have the ones who sort of let it get here and let it get out of hand. So it now really behooves us to sort of help to really fix the problem. And that does mean talking to our 
policymakers and making sure that we try to to see how we can help both ourselves and our patients. So before for we sure. go, Omid, any last tips for any of our listeners well, I about think what you would t- tell them with ha- navigating the healthcare system? I don't have tips, but it's I do want to make sure that everyone recognizes that this isn't all doom and gloom. Believe it or not, artificial intelligence, and I know you and I have talked about what yeah. AI can do in medicine in the past. Yeah. Um, artificial intelligence is actually starting to um, automate some of these administrative tasks. There's uh, some AI algorithms that can really help patients and us as providers by streamlining this process of prior authorization. There's even predictive analytics that will look at the likelihood of insurance coverage for specific treatments or procedures based on historical data. And and this can help you and I make more informed decisions and set realistic expectations for our patients. I'm looking to artificial intelligence to help us out with some of this because I I don't know the humans (laughs) that are supposed to be helping us out with this. (laughs) have gotten it right. So maybe the the computers can help us with this. You know, I like that. But I also think that the culture piece of it, and that's where I think the human part of it comes in, changing the culture of asking questions, of getting information of whether we're patients or providers or both, making sure that we know as much as possible beforehand. I think that will help as well. And I know I've certainly become more informed about my own insurance policies and healthcare coverage, and even actually my home insurance and my car insurance and all of those, because I think it's better to create the environment where you're asking those questions ahead of time. You know the information rather than being caught off guard. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, all for your insights as well. And I want to thank our listeners as well. Uh, We hope that you'll write in with questions, comments, reactions, and share your stories with us about what have been your challenges with navigating uh, healthcare and medical insurance environments. And also be sure to subscribe and follow us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please do put in a review. Until next time, take care of me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by Vest. New data from 96,000 real-world patients show advanced arrhythmia discrimination technology was associated with a significant reduction in false alarms. See how these results may improve your patient's experience at lifevesttechnology.com.